welcome, welcome, welcome to today's Born Human podcast. Thank you as ever for joining us. It's always a privilege to have you. Today, I am very privileged to introduce an ex-colleague of mine, Miss Holly, Mrs. Mrs. Holly Reynolds. Sorry, Mike. She's definitely married. Um, Holly is someone that I did peer support work alongside and had a very similar journey to me into this kind of work in that she had her own experience, as a lot of people do, and she wants to share and change outcomes for other people with that. Holly has been candidly honest about her story and in this conversation we talk about her whole experience through hyperemesis, through to postnatal anxiety and depression, how she got through that, what her support networks look like and I think what's really interesting about this one is identifying where the holes were and how she got there. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. I'll leave you to myself and Holly talking and we'll see you on the other side. So welcome to today's Born Human podcast. Today, I have the wonderful Holly Reynolds with me, somebody who I've been lucky enough to do peer support with um, for parents over the last few years. Um, Holly has been a massive support to me, but the one thing that we have in common is that we've both shared our own journeys in parenthood, and I guess that brought us together in some ways. So, welcome aboard, Holly. Thanks thank you. for coming on. Thank you for How are me. you? I'm very well, thank you. Good. That's good to know. Yeah, it's a lovely sunny day, so it is yeah, feeling good. Good, <laughs> excellent. So Holly's uh, been on her journey in parenthood and it's, as ever, it's not for me to drive what that looks like, but we're just going to explore that and see what it feel, what it was like for her and what she's been through. Um, so how old were you when you decided to want to have, wanted to have children and what was that look like? So I guess right from being a kid myself, I loved like playing role play and being mum and I had a little sister and brother, so I'd always be the mum or the teacher or the kind of one in charge <laughs> and bossing everybody around. I get that, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I had like a really happy sort of family unit um, and a lovely childhood. So my experience of being part of a family and a sibling was always, you know, quite a positive one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, you know, with my little sister and brother, it was, I always knew I had mates that I'd always grow up with and we used to fight. But then when it came down to it, we were like the best of friends. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, so I always knew that I wanted a family and I probably wanted quite a big family so a few children yeah um, right from you know when I was when I was really young yeah and who was the lucky man oh the lu- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'd call him lucky <laughs> um so my husband Mike yeah. um got to go on that journey with me um <laughs> Yeah, and we actually met when we were quite young. So we were 15. Um, oh, childhood sweethearts. Yeah, well, yeah. So we were childhood sweethearts, but he was... Um, I Yeah, so I was I was 15 and I wanted a bad boy. And Mike, if anyone knows Mike, he's not a bad boy. He's a really nice, nice, nice man. He is, yeah. Yeah, um, and we were in a relationship for probably just short of a year. And I was looking for some... Been a bad boy, basically. More dangerous. <laughs> More dangerous. And I told him that and I said, You're the sort of person I'd like to marry one day, but right now and we kind of went our separate ways and we're in relationships and then um I went to Ibiza 
after a big split up from from an ex I was like right that's it I'm going to Ibiza and I went with a friend and we were going to do a season out there and then one night I got very intoxicated <laughs> with alcohol and um just randomly text Mike and this is like four years later and he had the same number and I won't say what was in the text message <laughs> um but we met up when I got back and the rest is history I guess so yeah we were I think I was coming up to 20 when we kind of reconnected yeah yeah well it's amazing like i think like how you go from like you kind of need to know what you don't want in some ways and also have the chance to know that you don't want it you know like it's uh if you're just given i mean i know mike you know i've met mike Mm. and i've sort of had dealings with mike and i I think he's i completely see why you married him yeah but at the same time if you have that sort of nagging doubt in your mind it's like well I want a bad boy or whatever. Then yeah. it's like, I need to know that bad boys aren't good for me in the long yeah. run and just get them out of my system yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So we, um, and things happen quite quickly. So we met back up, well, kind of met back up. And then I was at uni. I went to uni and we moved in together. And then I, we got engaged when I was still at uni. Yeah. Finished uni, bought our first house um, and then got married all within sort of 18 months and fell pregnant so all within a very very short space of time yeah so we were quite young when we kind of fell pregnant and and had darcy so yeah yeah it's it's, well when you know it's right you know it's right yeah yeah and mike's mike came from a big family yeah so he's one of five children yeah um unfortunately he lost his mum when he was really young but i think he always knew that he wanted a family yeah yeah yeah, it was kind of always in the plan yeah you both knew where you were at kind Mm, of thing that's cool so it was pretty you were pretty young but how was pregnancy for you so i was really unfortunate in that i suffered with hyperemesis okay so i was really quite poorly with kind of severe morning sickness yeah um so this kind of image of blooming and being really excited about being pregnant and I remember having conversations with my mum before I was pregnant like what is it like and oh we'll be able to go shopping and it was all the kind of lovely floaty butterfly like image of what it would be like to be pregnant um and actually for me I was just in bed most of the time really yeah or sort of we had a, a bathroom right next to our bedroom so it I was living between bedroom bathroom bedroom bathroom and um yeah i was sick all for the whole pregnancy through. yeah yeah i mean it's such a crippling condition that mm. right and it's i think it's unreasonable in many ways that people kind of refer to it as extreme morning mm. sickness uh it was that funny enough i'm talking to somebody else about coming on here to talk about that specifically mm. and um it, just that sense of like when you talk about it as morning sickness presumably from mm. from what i hear of it and the people i've mm. met including yourself now mm. there's a sense of like don't just call it morning sickness because yeah. it's really not morning sickness, yeah. you know, like the dehydration that you can go through, yeah. like the potential hospital admissions. Yeah. And and actually, you know, the psychological impact that it had. So yeah. there, there was, I think, looking back now, my kind of difficulty with that transition into parenthood started way back in pregnancy. And at the time, I didn't really recognise it as that. Yeah. Um, but it was the little things like having to tell my boss I couldn't come to work because... I was being sick and they knew that I was pregnant. So they were just, oh, she's off with morning sickness. But it wasn't morning sickness. It was so much more than that. And kind of having thoughts like, why have I done this? Why why am I pregnant? I don't want to be pregnant. And, you know, really not wanting to 
say that to anybody like I couldn't say to anybody like I wish I wasn't pregnant because I felt really lucky to be pregnant and um we didn't so kind of rewind a little bit when we were trying for a baby I wasn't sure if it'd be that easy because I have polycystic ovarian syndrome okay so I knew for quite a, a while that it might be a little bit more tricky for us to conceive or might take a bit longer yeah um and that we might need some intervention but luckily we didn't but so I felt really so lucky and blessed that I was pregnant. But then on the other hand, I was kind of like, I really didn't think I could get through nine months of being yeah. this poorly. Yeah. And I, I mean, polycystic ovaries is also really common, right? Like mm. Lucy had that. Mm. And, and like the more people you talk to about it, it's like, mm. yeah, I've got polycystic, polycystic ovaries. Polycystic. Mm. And you're like, Jesus, like everyone have it kind mm. of thing. And it's not, I know it's not, but it's also another subject that's not talked yeah, about, right? Yeah. So you can kind of start to see why yeah. a journey starts in one yeah. way and ends in a different way, right? Yeah, but, totally. Um, so it went all, for the whole nine months kind of thing. Yeah. Did, did you ever, were you ever admitted to hospital or anything like that? Or? So I wasn't admitted to hospital. There was a point where I think they thought if I couldn't get enough fluids down, then I'd have to go into hospital or keep enough fluids down. But I was given some medication, which sort of took the edge off a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, again, like during that time, I kind of felt I wanted someone to say, right, let's, Take, let's take you in and just sort of get you to a place where you can go home and not feel as awful yeah I don't know how they would have done that but I just sort of felt like I was managing it on my own so Mike was obviously yeah. working and I was just at home on my own all the time being sick feeling dreadful not able to go out and enjoy my pregnancy or yeah, yeah. um so that was horrible and I don't know if we're going to talk about antenatal classes. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. Um, but I remember going to an antenatal class and everyone seemed to be, you know, just bossing it. And I just looked like hell. Um, and the, I remember at the end there was like, because um, I was feeling quite low and I'd not really sort of talked about it with anybody. And I'd heard about sort of postnatal depression and stuff. And I was sort of, worrying that I was going to get postnatal depression and at the end of this antenatal class they didn't really touch on mood or anything like that yeah they said oh is there any questions and I put my hand up and I said you know what if what happens if you start to feel like low or you you're you know feeling suicidal um after you and after you have you had your baby and it's something that sticks with me and it's something that's only really I've thought about recently and and I remember this this midwife and I can understand to some extent why she said what she did but Mm. then it kind of reinforced this stigma around mental health but she said oh we'll talk I I can talk to you about that on your own in a minute if you like right um we won't talk about it in the group and I kind of thought at the time I was like oh okay and at the time I didn't know I was going to get so unwell yeah um and I just remember thinking whoa What's wrong with me? Yeah. And why can we not talk about this? We talk about all the physical elements yeah. of pregnancy and, and having a baby. And we've talked about birth and, you know, all the different types of birth. Nappy changing yeah. and carrying a, you know, a sling or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But, but we're not talking about, well, what if we're not feeling right in our mood? And and I just remember thinking, oh. And then it, it, re, it kind of reinforced to me, oh, God, everyone must think, why is she asking that question? Yeah. And then I felt re- a bit ostracized from from the group. From it. Yeah, um, like it was like a, you know we shouldn't be talking about that. Um, and it, it's again like at the time it was kind of like oh 
okay, maybe I shouldn't have asked that question. Maybe that was a bit too much. Yeah. But now in my life. In the fullness it, of knowing what you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd really encourage people to ask that question. Yeah. Um, and talk about it because it's real. It's just, it's, it's a feeling. It's something that we all go through. And why is it, why, why did she? And again, like through lots of therapy, we know <laughs> that people respond to certain things because maybe they don't feel comfortable talking about it or whatever. So, you know, I give her the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think in that environment that I think that that's a really important question. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like you're, you're in this sort of, uh, certainly in your case, going from trying to be pregnant with polycystic ovaries to hyperemesis, which is mm. blatantly going to affect your mm. mood. I don't see any way it wouldn't yeah. to anyone. Kind yeah. of, and we've all been locked down mm. for the last year and a half mm. or whatever. So mm. in that respect, kind of thing, everyone's felt the pain of like not being able to do what you want to do, yeah. let alone not being able to enjoy your pregnancy and yeah. coming to terms with the fact you're going to be a family and mm. uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's perfectly reasonable to assume that that might affect your brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm interested. What did she say to you when she took you to one side? She did, didn't. Yeah, she didn't actually talk no. about it. No, so we just left. We left the antenatal class. She didn't sort of pull me aside and I didn't feel that I could then go to her yeah. because it was kind of like, oh no, we can't talk about that here. So it, I didn't feel comfortable then talking to her about that. Felt more like it was brushing it under the carpet yeah. rather than deferring it yeah. and talking about it And separately. I suppose in a way I kind of felt like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Let's just brush it under the carpet. Yeah. Well, it reinforces your fear, I suppose, yeah, doesn't it? Of totally. talking about... I, I mean, we, we've talked about this so many times, but like the whole sort of difference between mental and physical health. Mm. And if you've got a broken arm, I can see it, I can feel yeah. it, I can watch it recovering, I can yeah. see it getting better. But when it's in your head, it's like, is it real? Yeah, is yeah. it not real? What you know? What, do you feel the same way yeah. I felt? Or and actually, it doesn't matter. No, because your own truth is what you're experiencing, yeah. right? And you know, by kind of you know reinforcing the fact that we shouldn't you know if we don't talk about mm. it yeah the old the old standards aren't they mm. they're the wrong standards mm. to be following in this day and age i yeah. suppose but yeah. so that kind of reinforced your situation i suppose yeah and, then, and i think maybe um as as time went on and then i went on to sort of have darcy it was that sort of and again, it's things that I've only really started to think about lately. And because I'm in a good place, I can really kind of digest it and process it. Mm. And, you know, Darcy's nearly 10. So, mm. but, and so it was a long time ago. And I'd hope that with the kind of, you know, um, development in perinatal mental health services, things are, have changed. Yeah. And I think I did notice a bit of a difference when I had Rex five years later. But I think um, it kind of reinforced that. Uh, status within professionals as well so I didn't know how to talk to them about how I was feeling because it was kind of like yeah it didn't it didn't feel sort of I was the patient yeah not you know I felt like I was the patient student not a teacher yeah yeah yeah, pretty much well antenatal education is a bit like that isn't it there's like this sense of like empowering you to Mm. I remember when we had Wilbur going in and like coming out of antenatal thing like yes mm. i'm empowered mm. lucy doesn't want any drugs mm. if the doctor says drugs i say no because lucy <laughs> says no yeah, yeah and then we were kind of like okay the baby's heart rate's dropping you need to come in now mm. and it was like okay suddenly i'm rubbing yeah. the headlights and they're like we need to get her on some medication and i was like i thought i was empowered to say something yeah. about this but i'm not now yeah. and like 
there's a falsehood in that, mm. which is like, not that you can't and mm. not that you shouldn't be um, your partner's advocate if they're mm. going through that and you shouldn't be able to try and um, you know, respect what they wanted beforehand. Mm. But pregnancy and birth are nature's way. Mm. It's not our choice, how it happens, mm. right? And so unless you've prepared for every single situation, which yeah. fundamentally there's too many of them to count, yeah. you, you can't be prepared <laughs> no. for it, right? And so you need that sort of flexibility to be mm. able to react and work with them rather mm. than kind of... The sense I always got from Antonato was like, you know, just stand up and be strong mm. and just tell them what you mm. want. And it's like, they're not the enemy here. Yeah. The whole point is that we're all working together, together. To, yeah. give, to end up with a baby, mm. right? Um, so, yeah. So how was... How was it when you finally got around to having Darcy? How was that? So um, it was, I think the only word I can use is it was traumatic. It was a really traumatic experience um, where I felt like, um, I suppose, like a, I want to say like a prisoner within my own body. I, I wasn't, I just completely felt out of control. I, I, and it was that loss of control and I didn't feel heard and I can't really, that whole kind of experience was a bit of a blur, but the, the main things I pick out from that mm. weren't very nice. Yeah. Um, and you know, I kind of grew up, <laughs> my mum's a bit of a warrior and it, it, she's so, um, incredible but I always remember talking to my mum about way before I was pregnant about her births and stuff and she did it all on gas and air and you know she it it wasn't easy for her she had some really unfortunate things sort of happen for her but um she yeah she did it all on gas and air so I was kind of like well I'll be doing it on gas and air then yeah that's you know that's That's my role model yeah I'm I'm a Thomas or you know before I was a Reynolds yeah um yeah I'll just you know be gas and air and that's fine and my mum is this tiny little like delicate lady (laughs) just so diddy like I definitely take after my dad she's just this got this tiny little frame and I thought you know if her body can do it mine can do it like I'm a brute like I'll be fine um um, I remember we were we were at my mum's and the contractions started. We went into hospital and, you know, as we, a lot of things, you know, first time mum, go home, you know, rest, have a yeah. bath. And, you know, when it starts to get a bit more intense and closer together, phone us back or whatever. So we went back home and we thought, we'll go back to my mum and dad's because they live closer to the hospital. And they just ordered a Chinese. So everyone was eating Chinese and I was like oh maybe I shouldn't be in Chinese I'm not sure um and then I had a bath and and it, that was all quite relaxed um and then it started to get quite intense so we went into hospital and I just I, I remember my waters went in the bath so I was having a bath and that was a bit like oh my as soon as my waters went it's like this is actually happening yeah and up until then it was kind of like okay yeah we're all right And then it's when my body then started to just like do all this stuff. And I was like, what is happening? And I couldn't control it. And I desperately wanted some pain relief. Yeah. Um, And I remember being examined and they were sort of like, oh, you know, things are going quite quickly. You're doing really well. Yeah. And I was like, okay, just give me some gas and air. So I was taking the gas and air and that made me feel a bit spaced out. Um, and I was like, please, I really, really need an epidural. I, I, I cannot do this. I was, I like every part of me was out of control. I was screaming. My body was like 
just I couldn't get comfortable and it was this real physical yeah I, I just felt like I just didn't I did not have control of my body and all the breathing and all the trying to think of you know nice things it was just all going out the window and I didn't know at the time but because I was progressing quite quickly and things were you know happening yeah the midwife who I think was trying to be really supportive said to my husband sort of aside you know she's doing really well if we give her an epidural now it's really going to slow things down right um and I think he I, I think he felt quite powerless because she was the professional yeah um and actually ultimately what happened then is things did progress really quickly um, and I delivered Darcy and then I had a third degree tear, right. um, which was really traumatic. And then I was whisked straight down to surgery. Yeah. So I didn't have that skin to skin time with her. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I, I was still kind of like, what has just happened? Yeah. And I didn't feel that I got anything from it because I'd just gone straight just down to surgery. Just been taken away kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And the things running through my mind were like, well, who's got her? Who's going to put her, like who's going to put a first set of clues on her? Yeah. It's not going to be me. And that, and it, it seems like a really small thing, but actually that was like massive for yeah, me. Yeah. I took in like her little outfit for that we would dress her in when she was born. And actually that wasn't going to be me doing that. And yeah. Although it would be Mike and that's absolutely perfectly fine. Yeah. That was something we were going to do together. Yeah. And I just remember going down in this big light and, Bearing in mind something I should have sort of said before is I'd never been in hospital for anything before. I really so I'd broken my arm. That's as far as it went when I was nine. Yeah, but I'd not kind of had any big operations at this point. I'd not had to have any inpatient stay in hospital. Yeah. So everything about being in a delivery suite was completely alien to me. Yeah. The sounds, the smells, the language that was being used about what was happening to my body, where we were at. I, I It was all, it was like being in like a movie and I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Um, and I remember going down and I was thinking, third degree tear, that sounds quite bad. Yeah. But no one was sort of explaining what that actually meant. It's just a title. It's just a title. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, so third degree. So there must be a first degree, a second degree. So is first degree worse or... Yeah, which, I, which way around wh- is where it? Where am yeah, I? Yeah. And I remember kind of being led out and feeling really vulnerable and lost. And my husband wasn't there. Alone, right? She's really just alone. you and... Yeah, and all these people in blue. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's quite a invasive surgery and you're awake and... I was thinking, oh my God, what does this mean? And then I'm thinking, where's my baby? And and I was exhausted because yeah, I'd yeah. just been through birth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was wheeled up to um, recovery and my baby was there and I knew she was my baby, but I hadn't had that moment of, I love you so much. Yeah, yeah. All the endorphins that everyone told me would happen. And yeah. when they put that baby on your, your chest, you just fall in love. And even my mum said that to me. And, yeah. you know, like, oh, yeah, they. Ju- I remember they put you in my arms and it was just like everything else floated away. And I hadn't had that. So I started to panic. And I was like, why am I not feeling this? Yeah. Um, and, it, yeah, it was just kind of like I was taken up to recovery. I was still exhausted. I hadn't had anything to eat. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of like, okay. And no, 
at no point is anyone i felt like i needed a plan yeah like so this is happened like a debrief this has happened you're really going to be sore you've been fitted with a catheter so you're not going to be able to get up and go for a wee yeah um it was just all done and yeah. i was like okay couldn't pick up my baby and then you know my mum was holding her which is again like absolutely fine like but I should have been holding her. You've carried her for nine months. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, I, and that first cuddle, and again, these are only things really now, kind of, as time has gone on. And I really think about how, what happened after when I became unwell, like all the little things that would have contributed to that. Yeah. I didn't really think of it at the time. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, you know, I've worked through it now. But just little things like that, and that Mike had to go home. Luckily, they let my mum stay. Yeah. Um, but I didn't sleep, and I wasn't feeling all these things that I thought that I should be feeling, and I was frightened to death of taking her home. Yeah. So I was thinking of all the ways I could maybe just stay a little bit longer in hospital and get some help. Yeah. Breastfeeding wasn't working. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm really rambling now. Not at all. No, this is your story, and it's all kind of. Um, yeah. yeah. So it was all just a bit like. It, it wasn't what I expected. So this kind of picturesque, I would be breastfeeding my baby and we'd be out of hospital and home and as a family and it would all be lovely and we'd be a family of three. And yeah. that was that. It wasn't really going down that road. Yeah. Um. And my breast milk didn't come in. And then I had this healthcare assistant again, like, bless her. She must have been just 18, maybe. Right. Maybe her first little job within healthcare. Yeah. And she came she came over with a syringe and to help me get some milk off the colostrum yeah and she was like manipulating my breast and my boob and i was like this is so weird <laughs> and why am i letting you do this to me yeah but i felt so helpless and yeah i was and it was just really surreal and then after i like as time's gone on again it's like I never let someone do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, there was like, like you could have had a different outcome. Yeah, kind of and what she was doing was kind of necessary, but I felt that it wasn't in my hands. It was kind of like, right, we're going to do this, and we're going to syringe some colostrum off. But I wasn't, I wasn't doing it, and it was my body, and it was kind of like, why is everyone doing stuff to my body? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so there was no sort of feels like there was a whole lot of consultation missing, missing in terms of. I think by the sound of things, a lot of it would have happened. There's not a lot, you know, they want to keep yeah, you alive, look yeah, after you, all of that. And you'd have been cool with the fact they yeah. wanted to keep you alive so yeah. you can see your baby and look yeah. after her yeah. and kind of get the colostrum yeah. and stuff. But I suppose it's the way in which that's done, right? Whether yeah. you're kind of dragged to it, or that's yeah. a horrible term, but you know what I mean? Or sort of like yeah. told that's how it's going to yeah. be or whether someone says, like you say, you'd be given a plan and you're explained mm. it. Mm. And the difference that makes, mm. I suppose that's, I did, and this is by no means a, a negative reflection on the NHS in, uh, collectively, but yeah. there's that bedside manner is such a delicate thing, isn't yeah. it? You know, and you go from like one doctor to another delivering exactly the same message, yeah, all with the best intentions, yeah. I'm sure, but just with different styles. Mm. And as people, we receive things differently, mm. right? And we take them differently. But it sounds like you know it was one after the other after mm. the other for you that mm. it was like it becomes cumulative yeah. right yeah so it was just yeah it, it felt like one negative experience after the other and then what followed was kind of like just yeah just pretty bad yeah <laughs> so we went home um and the first couple of days were okay i was managing to breastfeed but i wasn't 
I knew I wasn't doing it. I knew I wasn't doing it right. I knew we weren't getting it right, me yeah. and Darcy, um, because I was so sore and I was dreading every time I'd have to put her on the breast. Um, but again, my mum, bless her, breastfed all of us mm. and she could do it. So I should be able to do it. And, mm. you know, and I had support. So it wasn't that no, any, and no one was pushing me. No one was forcing me to do it. I really wanted to breastfeed. Yeah. That was kind of the plan. And I, and I had all these lovely visions of breastfeeding and feeling really empowered and, you know, yeah, just, I felt that's what my body should have done. Yeah. Um, and it just wasn't it wasn't working and one night um i think we were about 10 days in and i was starting to feel really anxious about everything and it wasn't just about the baby it was it could it was like that i put the biscuits in the wrong cupboard right and i was it was really random and i would just lie there at night and i couldn't focus i couldn't fall asleep because i was panicking that i'd put biscuits in the wrong cupboard yeah just really irrational and then we weren't sleeping because Darcy wasn't sleeping because she wasn't feeding properly. Yeah. Um, and I remember we were, she, I just fed her. And we, it was a middle of the night, about 11 o'clock at night. And I winded her and she brought up a load of blood. And straight away, I'm like, oh no, this is really bad. She's, something's really wrong. So we went to the local walk-in centre and the doctor was really reassuring. She checked Darcy, did all of her obs and, you know, vitals and things were perfect she was lovely all yeah. fine and she said i think that maybe the blood's come from you right. so can i examine you so she examined me and you know without being too graphic my nipples were hanging off and you could see the fat behind them sorry <laughs> that's quite graphic um it's the truth it's though. the truth <laughs> um and she said oh yeah yeah it's definitely come from you but you know persevere persevere with oh, it oh wow yeah and i think in that moment, all I wanted her to say was, "Do you know what? It looks like you've had a really tough time of this. It how do you how do you feel about maybe getting some formula and giving yeah. your boobs a rest and maybe trying again in a few days or just like letting them heal or yeah, yeah. but taking control back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right? but no. So I went home and then I thought, okay, well, you know, even though I'm really struggling that's the right thing to do yeah and i i'm a, i like rules and i don't ever want to be in trouble for anything <laughs> or get or do anything wrong yeah um i've always kind of felt like that i've always been you know little holly has to stick to the rules and yeah you know did not like getting in trouble as a child would never be on the wrong side of the law although i did like a bad Let boy the bad boys do that yeah <laughs> um but yeah so i guess that then reinforced that maybe my, I don't know I felt that I wasn't it, it was all about Darcy which was yeah. fine because she was my baby and I knew I loved her and I wanted her to be okay yeah but everything was about Darcy yeah um and then I'd have I because I was lacking in sleep and I was exhausted I'd then feel resentful towards Darcy and I knew I loved her but I couldn't feel it because everything that I was doing was to to for Darcy but it was at, at your expense. At my expense and oh the 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 hours I've spent kind of going over that and how actually simple fact was my me my needs weren't being met at that yeah. time my basic needs I wasn't able to meet my basic needs yeah so I wasn't sleeping I wasn't eating because I was too anxious to eat um I wasn't able to kind of get myself dressed and washed and because I just didn't have time. Yeah. Um, 
and then it progressively got worse from there um where these kind of horrible feelings of guilt and resentment then turned into really intrusive thoughts so my anxiety really picked up a notch and i'd have some really horrible intrusive thoughts about things happening to darcy or something happening to me or me losing control um And I then started to believe it. So I would avoid picking her up or I wouldn't feed her. And so we put her on a bottle in the end. We got formula. And I thought that would help because I'd have a rest. Yeah. But by that point, my anxiety was, I was so on high alert all the time. I couldn't switch off. I couldn't sleep. Yeah. Um, And... I had this beautiful, and I, I, I talk about this quite a lot, and when I've spoken to sort of professionals and I've done talks on kind of my experience and and it's something that always sticks out and it's this, I had this beautiful um, blanket from Mamas and Papas and it was like the one thing throughout pregnancy that I was just so excited about yeah, um, because it was like a really nice blanket and yeah. she was my first baby and I couldn't wait to kind of, have this little blanket and all these like visions of you know going out for a walk and this lovely blanket and it was really special yeah and actually this blanket became quite a horrible part of my story because I would just have awful things of things happening with this blanket um and I would hide the blanket right or and and I started to kind of pick up little behaviors because I was so frightened that I was going to do something awful um not because I wanted to or I was planning to but just because these horrible intrusive thoughts were coming in yeah and I had no idea where they were coming from so I started to think well maybe I am a really bad person yeah and how do I tell someone because I wanted to keep her safe but for me to keep her safe I had to be away from her yeah so I knew I loved her I was finding it really hard to access that emotion but I thought that I was the problem I was the one ultimately that was you know malfunctioning yeah, yeah. um and i think mike and my mum started to pick up on this yeah um and i'd tell them little snippets maybe like oh holly you're exhausted you're gonna you know you're gonna feel these things sometimes but i wasn't maybe as truthful and then when i finally did i it was like verbal diarrhea and it all came out and all these horrible thoughts and feelings and do you know what fair play to Mike and my mum because they kept a poker face they weren't like panicked and I don't know where that came from because they never experienced anything like that before someone disclosing some really dark stuff but it was kind of like okay um right I think we need to speak to someone yeah and I that night I think I disclosed all this stuff and I was panicking that I was going to go to jail. Um, something bad was going to happen to Darcy. Like all these crazy things were coming out of like my brain. And I just thought it, it was kind of like, what happens now? Mm. And it, you know, it was, um, I phoned my local um, psychiatric unit yeah. to try and get admitted. And I don't really think they understood what I was asking. So I phoned the Samaritans. And I was on the phone to a man, which was fine. Hmm. But I was like, I need to speak to a woman. I need to speak to someone who's going to understand this. Yeah. They were, there were no women on at that time in the night. Right. And I was just like, I just don't, what is happening? And I really didn't know what to do. And my mum called my health visitor the next morning because I disclosed to my mum that 
I was on the phone to the Samaritans and I needed help. I needed someone to take me away. Yeah. I needed to be away from Darcy. And um, my health visitor got me an emergency appointment with our psychiatric assessment unit, which is really local. And, you know, if you could imagine the things that were going through my head, um, I was just frightened to death of going to this psychiatric unit because I thought they're going to section me. Mm. I'm going to get t- like locked up. But in a way, I kind of wanted that because I felt that that would make me safe. Yeah. Um, and I, I hadn't slept for four days, so four straight days of no sleep, which yeah. is very dangerous. And the psychiatrist, Dr. Connor, his name was, um, was just incredible. And he just listened and didn't judge me. And he said, okay, yeah, yeah. And everything I was saying, he wasn't like, oh, okay, so uh, when you have these thoughts, do you want to do it? It was kind of initially... He just listened. Yeah. And that's what I needed. I just needed a professional to listen to me. Yeah. And fit, actually feel heard. Yeah. Um, and then he then went on, did a referral to the Bristol Mother and Baby Unit. And back then, um, it ran quite differently. So there was a, you could be a day patient. So you'd go up every day. Yeah. Um, because they only had four beds. Because I was, we moved in with my mum and dad for some extra support. They said, you can come up as a day patient. So I started to get support there. I made contact with a charity um, called House of Light and they were based up in Hull, but they had a 24-hour telephone sort of um, helpline. Yeah. And this lady was amazing. And she she present, when she was unwell, she presented really similar to the things that I was presenting with. Yeah. So talking to her and she was like really successful now. She'd set up her own charity. Yeah, she yeah. was doing really well. And I was thinking, okay, right, I, I could probably get better from this. Yeah, and then yeah. I'd have days and I'd think, no, I've got something different to what everybody else has. Yeah. Um, this isn't postnatal illness. This isn't, you know, postnatal anxiety. I'm actually just wired wrong. Um, and then I'd have a good day. And, and then the journey kind of just went on from there. Um, but it was really hard yeah. for all of us and for Mike and for my mum and dad um it was just but i think once i felt heard even though i was in at my darkest point it kind of felt like okay a door's just opened yeah and there is a plan i can start climbing some (laughs) stairs now yeah and i i was on some medication as well um which again like i was i'm never going on medication but in that moment that's what i needed although Mm. unfortunately when the medication started, I wasn't aware that things might get worse before they got better. Okay. So this was prior to my crisis, I suppose I'd call it. Um, they put me on some medication and uh, it got a lot worse. And then yeah. I suppose maybe the that increased anxiety kind of triggered the lack of the unable to fall to sleep and eat and all of that stuff. So that was a bit tricky so I was given some more medication to counteract that so yeah. I was like taking loads of medication more and more yeah but in that moment I suppose you know that's what I needed at that yeah, time yeah. um and then I was able to then access you know really um tailored sort of support from the mother and baby unit mm. yeah sorry I'm wow just basically <laughs> just but you can bit. see right like I mean <laughs> you know I, I obviously knew your story from yeah, knowing yeah. you but and you know you just recounting it in that 
such relatively short period of time and seeing all the impacts of each stage mm. of it and you think it's not really a surprise mm. in some respects that mm. all those factors might contribute to you ending up in a bad place mm. right and actually what opportunities are you given to kind of process any of that or mm. it, it it's so not clear but like there are so many points where you could say well if you'd have been given more support there mm. and there and there mm. you might have had a different outcome yeah. right and do you know what only recently um in a uh, kind of um supervision environment someone that was giving me my supervisions made me realize something that i'd not maybe thought of before and it was that vulnerability can actually be a bit of a superpower so being Mm -hmm. vulnerable isn't necessarily a weakness and I always thought you know you've got to be strong and independent and that's how I was brought up and you know my dad was in the police force so it was kind of that was the way um and you know we stick to the rules and we you know we we were good people we're good members of society and um, but you know, if you're, if you're struggling, you know, you need to just kind of, you know, you've got a really good life. You've got a good family behind you. Everything's all right. Be grateful. Be you'll grateful. work it out. Yeah. It'd be all right. We, you know, it'll be fine. But actually I just needed someone to say, Holly, it's all right to cry and feel really crap because of everything you've been through. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe, and I, I'm not sure if that would be appropriate, but you know, after that experience, maybe of my birth someone saying holly if you start to feel you know yeah really like low or anxious or you start reliving what has happened yeah that it's maybe expected because that was really traumatic for you so don't be afraid if that happens but you need to talk to somebody yeah whereas i was like i I can't tell anybody what i'm thinking or this happened because it might mean that i've got a mental illness yeah or, you know, and I can't have a mental illness. I'm not the sort of person that would get a mental illness. Yeah. And that was kind of my outlook. So I was really scared of mental illness. Yeah, yeah. Which I suppose almost fed this fire of, of anxiety because it was almost like every time I was anxious, I was just like, I'm going mad. Like, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm not, I felt like I was going mad, I think. And yeah, that and mm. this is just like a snippet of the story. There's yeah. so much more that yeah. I could tell you. And I look back and I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. But And it doesn't sound like uh, the only two points that it sounds like to me from memory, mm. that from listening to it, that felt like it was normalised was when Mike and your mum were listening to you and just hearing you. Yeah. And when you heard the lady from um, yeah. on the support line yeah. kind of going through a similar yeah. thing. And in both of those instances, what you're really asking for is for somebody to just not judge you, yeah. but hear what you're going yeah. through, right? Yeah, and the psychiatrist. So oh, he, yeah, sorry. He, no, he was, um, he was just, he was a very, you know, he was a, a professional. And I think I was thinking, okay, I'm going to go and see the best of the best. Like I'm seeing a psychiatrist and yeah. he's going to fix me. And I thought, you know, he's going to give me all of these things, some medication, you know, uh, some therapy, and he's going to fix me. But actually, what he did was he didn't, he couldn't, no one could fix me. That that was me. I had to do all that hard work. But he just listened and understood and heard my story. And it wasn't the behavior that was going on right there, but everything that had led up to me being in that room with him that day. Yeah. And I think the difference was he had time to yeah. be able to listen to my story and not just fix the anxiety that was happening in that moment. It was kind of like, okay, let's 
pull this apart a little bit and yeah. see where this is all coming from. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just think bigger picture by the sound of things. Yeah. Kind of see the whole picture yeah. and not be frightened by yeah. what you're delivering in that moment and yeah. just try and sort of make a, an instant fix of that yeah. part. You know? Which is scary in a way because I think I was really lucky to have my mum and Mike who were so supportive and they knew that I needed help. So they reached out to the help visitor. The help visitor then reached out to the psychiatrist. But actually some people don't have that. Yeah. Like some people will struggle with that for a long long time with no help and you know the the impact of that can be catastrophic and i just think i was one of the lucky ones you know yeah that had the support and i appreciate that not everybody has that yeah. and i think that's why i'm so passionate about what i do now in my role as a peer support worker is just holding that space for someone to just say it yeah and just listen and be that person that you know that I needed that you needed yeah. right because because you know what it felt like yeah. and I think that's the power of it isn't it really yeah. and I you know I I have so much respect for everything you do and that we've done together yeah, and all those yeah. kind of things because I think they're you're just applying your humanity to mm. other people and saying it's not rocket science what I'm trying to create for you here is yeah. just somewhere where you can be heard in a way that yeah. And having had your experience, like it's not like a. There's there's little I always think anyway, and you may feel differently because mm. I haven't been through that. Mm. But that sense of like, if I've been through that and nothing good comes of it, mm. not what was the point? But I might as well turn it into something mm. decent for somebody else, you yeah. know, because I can't change what's happened, yeah. but I can yeah. use that to kind of leverage the outcome yeah. for somebody else. Yeah. I remember really early on in my recovery when I started to have the good days because it wasn't like a, a switch and then I was better. It was a long, long sort of, for me, it felt a really long route to recovery and it's yeah. about nine months, I think, Okay. Um, which is fairly short, really, when you think about everything that happened. But it was about nine months where I started to feel like, actually, yeah, I can, I can be a mum. Yeah. I can enjoy this and I can... Um, yeah, and, and very early on, I sort of knew that my somewhere in my life, sort of further down the line, I wanted to be that person yeah. to just listen and hold that space and and be there. And it took a, it took what eight years for me to get to that place to be able to actually be far enough away from my experience to be able to do that role. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's quite it's yeah really a really powerful position not powerful position it's a powerful thing to be able to offer somebody it's, yeah. it's like magic yeah and it is because you can't all those times when you're sitting there thinking you don't understand mm. like like when you were speaking to the Samaritans mm. it's like I need to speak to a mm. woman because I think she'll you know even if she's not been through what mm. I've been through she might have had children mm. or she might get some of it you know yeah. you're looking for those hooks aren't yeah. you in, in somebody going that's really tough, mm. but I do get it kind of thing. Yeah. And and I do get it is like a such a simple phrase, yeah. but when it's said by somebody who really does get it, it, it's like you can feel the wash sort of just be like, okay, well, I feel like I've let go of some of that now. Yeah. Not let go of it completely, but you've sort of had the capacity to be able to say they get it. It doesn't feel as heavy anymore. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. yeah. And how, so um, did they ever, was it ever sort of formally labelled or diagnosed or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, so I was diagnosed was with postnatal depression okay, yeah. uh, and 
or se- severe postnatal anxiety. Yeah. Um, because I was kind of like, I've not got postnatal depression. I'm not depressed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just really anxious about everything. Um, but actually, I think the depression was feeding the anxiety. Okay. And then eventually, I kind of went through a stage of just being depressed. Yeah. Um, and then the anxiety has subsided. And it was this real roller coaster of like, I'd be okay for. It started off, I'd be okay for like an hour. And I'd be like, okay, I've just had a really good hour. And I'd feel really empowered in that hour. And then it would just be like, oh, and then I'd feel rubbish. And then I'd have maybe like a good day, but then two bad days. Yeah. And then maybe two good days and then just a really awful week. But just eventually the good days would outweigh the bad days. And I kept like a little calendar and I'd color it in and I could see my progress and quite a visual person. So being able to see, okay, yeah, the good days are getting more and more. And what was a good day uh, what was a bad day hang on what was a bad day like further on in my journey would have been a really good day at yeah, the start. yeah yeah so it was like and it, and, it, and I could feel it and I could feel a shift in it, a difference in my relationship and I think what is really important around anything when we talk about kind of perinatal mental health is the impact it has on the infant yeah and what was going on for Darcy at that time and um, I was really lucky to get all the support and the help that I did because it meant that I could actually work on that, um, those feelings that I was so desperate to feel for her. Yeah, yeah. So through therapy and I did some work, me and Darcy. So like, it was like mother and baby therapy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I remember the moment that I felt that rush of love and actually that was bigger than I think anything I would have felt if it would day. have been on the day yeah. because of everything we've been through together yeah. and you know the fact that it was about me and Darcy and people were I think I was really worried that people thought I wasn't capable because I knew I was capable but I just didn't have the capacity at that moment yeah. to to be a, to be a good mum although now I look back and I was a bloody good mum because yeah. I was working so hard on my mental health to get better yeah um but yeah, I remember the moment and I, we were in this mother and baby class at the mother and baby unit. And it was it was funny because it was a, a mother and baby dance class. And I was like, you will not get me into a mother and baby dance class. Um, floating sort of chiffon around and, you know, being all fancy. I thought, you know, I, I feel crackers as it is, you know, get me in there doing that. But I, I was kind of willing to do whatever it took. Yeah. And I went into this room and they'd made it all really lovely. And it was in a hospital, but they'd managed to make this room sort of really therapeutic. And it was all like dim lights and um, like stars on the walls. And we had all this like chiffon and we'd start off and we'd do like a bit of baby massage. And then they played some music and I was just like, they put the music on. I was like, oh no, this is it. I'm going to stand <laughs> up and like do something give him a pom-pom yeah and she was like just stand up and all i want you to do is just walk around listen to the music and just look at your baby that's all i want you to do it's okay i do it and they played um and i always recount this in every talk that i do with anybody because it is like probably the most impactful moment of my whole life and they played the goo goo dolls iris yeah and I wasn't like a Google Dolls fan or anything like that. Um, I didn't even really know the song. And I was just listening. She was just telling me what to do. So I was doing what she told me, listen to the music. And she's like, just really feel the music, listen to the words. And, you know, she knew exactly what she was doing. Yeah, yeah. when you know the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, 
And the lyrics were like, um, I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand. Yeah. Um, and I just want you to know who I am. And that was it. Like, I didn't feel understood for what was going on for me. But all I wanted was my baby to know that I was her mum. Yeah. And that she was my baby and I loved her so much. And just in that moment, it was like the flood, it was like this kind of floodgate had opened and all these emotions just started coming out and I was like okay just feel it just go with it it's fine and it was just such a special moment and I've got those words on a poster in my bedroom yeah. and I look at them every day and it that was so impactful when it wasn't a big thing yeah it wasn't like you know some hardcore medication or some really deep sort of therapy yeah it was just a moment with me and Darcy that felt really tricky and awkward at the start but when I just let myself go with it and it does sound a bit airy fairy and hippie and flancy and it's not something I thought that would ever yeah be you know something I'd do um but actually it was like the best moment of my life and like you know music and those and the arts generally can yeah. have real power to kind of connect mm. with you like everybody has like you know, if you get married, you have a wedding song that mm. kind of sticks with you forever. Mm. And you have like, I don't know, that music creates moments in time, doesn't it? Yeah. And like, the, I don't know what it is about putting words to music mm. and then going, if you speak those words, they sound totally different to mm. if you sing them or mm. put them together. But that sense of like, I suppose it, it creates emotion, right? Mm. And actually what you're trying to do, I know for Lucy, when she had art therapy, mm. she had exactly the same reaction. Mm. She was like, I'm not doing art therapy. Mm. Like, I'm fine, thanks. Mm. But once she got there, like the enthusiasm when she came home after sort of mm. the first session of being like, "I, they get me. Like, they get it. Because I was able to explain it in a way where, you know, I yeah. could use all these props to yeah, kind of yeah, explain yeah. it. And then all of a sudden you've got this like, you know, it's tapping into your emotions mm. in a different way. Because mm. if you just keep asking somebody, tell me, tell me, tell mm. me, tell me what you're feeling, mm. that might just not be how yeah. that person communicates. Yeah. You know? And it's really hard to artic articulate how you feel in that moment because yeah. it feels really alien to you anyway. So actually being able to, to say it, you might not even have the words, you might not even know what language is like yeah. how to use language to explain yeah how you're feeling what you're feeling yeah, yeah. and i think um what was i gonna say oh i can't remember now so much i think about so much stuff <laughs> um yeah when i we were kind of like planning to have a second child which was not in the plan so after this experience it was like no not doing that way um because i felt this huge sense of responsibility to my family and Darcy that, you know, if I went through that again, I've got a little girl to think of. Yeah. I couldn't put my parents through it. I couldn't put Mike through it because Mike was my absolute rock. He did all the night feeds. He gave up so much. And I know he's my husband and that's what we expect. And he should be there for me. But he kind of went over and above all of that. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. I can't, even begin to explain how how much that meant for me so the thought of kind of voluntarily voluntarily putting myself in that situation again yeah was just to me really stupid yeah but Darcy turned four and I just remember thinking about her and her life as an only child and you know for some people being an only child is 
absolutely you know that is their life and it's fine and for some families that absolutely works so I'm not but for me it felt I came from a big family Mike came from a big family and I knew my what my relationship was like with my sisters and my brothers and my sister and my brother and I was just thinking how I really want her to have that yeah yeah. because I loved her so much I was like okay I'm gonna do this for you yeah but we need a plan and we need a really robust good plan in case just in case so I was quite sort of um proactive and before we even conceived I went to my GP and I said look and it was a different GP to who I had before a different we lived in a different area we lived in Baines so yeah. there, I didn't know what was available I didn't even know if I'd be able to access the mother and baby unit if I needed to mm. I knew that it had changed so they didn't have day patients there so all these things already were like barriers yeah so it was kind of like oh I don't know so I went to my GP had a really frank discussion with her and said look this is the situation she could see all my notes um and I said I'm really scared but I it deep down I would go to like um to like mediums and get my tarot cards read just yeah. to tell me you know give me some it's gonna be all right it's gonna be all right and and someone and she showed me this card and it was like you know you've grown so much since last time and it you know I see you with a happy future <laughs> and I and it, yes yeah. so uh, I speak let's to my do GP. this yeah and she was like okay so this is what's available this is what we can do she offered me extra appointments. So she offered me appointments, my GP. So yeah. she said, when you fall pregnant, we'll have a chat and then we'll book you in again. So it's like, okay. So she actually wants to help me. Yeah. And she was really lovely. And again, it was like, I don't know if she'd been through anything before. Yeah. But she got it. Felt like she did. Yeah. And yeah. It, it felt, and you get that feel, don't you, from people who When they there. just get it. They just yeah. get it. Yeah. And then I spoke to my midwife and I remember going... Uh, so when we fell pregnant, so we were like, right, let's do it. And fell pregnant. And I remember that first midwife appointment, I had high premises again, yeah. which was really powerful. All the way through. All the way through. But because I had Darcy, it was kind of like I had a reason to get up and try and get on with it. Yeah. It was still awful. I was still taking medication. Um, I suppose you weren't as alone, I suppose. I wasn't as alone. No, I, and because I had another group, I had a group of mum friends and yeah. some really not lovely mum friends who again like that's another part of the story and they they were these wonderful women who I'm still amazing friends with and I hope they get to hear this because they created something for me that I f- would have felt really uncomfortable before so being in big groups of people yeah. being with, I was always like a best friend I'd have like one best friend or a best friend over there and someone over there and they'd all come but they all they didn't all know each other, but that was quite, I quite like that. Pockets of safe spaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, so I met two women at the mother and baby unit. Sorry, am I taking up loads of time? No, you're I'm, good. I'm such a rambler. No. Um, two women I met at the mother and baby unit who I class as like my pillars of strength through so many things I've been through in my life. And I would never, ever have met them if I hadn't gone to the mother and baby unit. Yeah. Seeing one of them tonight. Can't We're wait. not. Fish and chips. Um, <laughs> And she's an incredible woman. Um, they both are. And then I met this group of women when I finally started to integrate back into the community. Um, and I felt brave enough to go to a, a group. There was this, I went to this baby massage group and it was really daunting. It was the first group I went to. And I remember being the first mum there because I needed to tell the facilitator that I was like 
on the edge, not on the edge anymore. I wasn't. I, but I, this was like really big for me. Yeah. And she, she was lovely. And then these mums came in and they all looked like they were bossing it and they had their <laughs> nice prams and they were breastfeeding. And I was like, oh God, and I felt like the old one out. And nearly 10 years later, I'm going on holiday with them next weekend. Oh, amazing. And we are such good mates and we've all been through stuff and we've all supported each other throughout our kind of parenting journey yeah um and yeah so that was something really incredible that came out of that and, and they were there when I was pregnant with Rex so I knew I had that safety as yeah, well yeah. and and they'd gone on to have their second child most of them had their second baby by now um so I kind of felt really safe with them and I could be really honest with them and then pregnant with Rex had all this stuff in place and went in for my 12 week kind of booking appointment. And I, I'm not massively religious. I believe in something. I don't know what, but I kind of felt like that day someone was looking down on me and they gave me this midwife who was just like magic. And I was so scared and I did get really emotional. And I said, look, this is massive for us. And I really need your support. And and she was like, okay, that's fine. And she went over and above her role to make sure that I always had her at an appointment. Even when she was based at a different um, like birthing center, I was able to go and have my appointment there. there. Yeah. Um, and she and yeah, I she was just brilliant. And she, again, she just got it. Yeah. And she didn't judge me. And she was really validating of all of my feelings. And brilliant. Absolutely amazing. Then I had Rex. And I was like, I'm having the epidural. <laughs> like, Excuse me, yeah. epidural, please. I, like, I just want, I just like to order my epidural now <laughs> when I walked into the hospital. But I, I, my birth experience was incredible with Rex. And yeah. I had an epidural, which was brilliant for me. Um, it was so calm. It was so lovely. And he came into the world and they put him on me and I had that instant adrenaline and endorphins which was lovely yeah um and then from there on everything was okay it was hard it's, it's hard having two kids yeah yeah um it was the sleepless nights my i was like i'm not breastfeeding we'll go straight to bottle because i know that mike can help and i can get my sleep yeah but he they put him on me and he found my breast and he started breastfeeding and it was just like okay this is good yeah but i'm not going to put pressure on myself um, they let us stay in hospital for two nights so we could, and we had our own kind of little side room, which was really lucky. Yeah. Um, and we had extra, a bit of extra support from some midwives who would come in and they'd offer to feed Rex so yeah. we could sleep. Darcy loved having a little brother. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was, it was just lush. And that whole experience, I kind of felt initially quite guilty that I had that with Rex and I didn't have it with Darcy. Yeah. But my bond with Darcy is so strong and she's such a lovely little girl and we've got such a lovely little relationship yeah it doesn't matter yeah um you've so, been yeah. through it together you know like yeah, and yeah. i think that's you'll never have the same experience with with two of them no. because it is different mm. but it's so heartwarming to kind of hear that all the preparations mm. you've kind of gone through it it feels like this this time has been mm. like these were where all the holes were so then second time round, we filled all those yeah, holes. Yeah, totally. And look how great it was. Yeah. And like, not to suggest that you couldn't have still had issues yeah. and that things couldn't have cropped up. Of course you could, but yeah. you're, you know, you managed it in yeah. a really great way and yeah. you faced your fears, yeah. which I think is 
quite frankly amazing <laughs> yeah. I, if I, I think if anyone had been through that then yeah. they'd kind of be perfectly entitled to mm. say never again and I remember thing. thinking that I remember being in the mother and baby unit and there was a lady there and she was on her third baby and she'd been admitted three times and I remember thinking why do you keep doing this to yourself yeah. like what what why are you doing this and I just didn't get it and I thought you know I did think back then I was like this is really selfish why are you doing this but actually it wasn't selfish she got herself to a point where she felt like no I can do this I yeah can. but unfortunately for her it didn't work out and it wasn't great and and I didn't know her story I didn't know what everything leading up to this had happened to her yeah um and you know I but since kind of working within the within the field and and doing kind of a lot of work around perinatal mental health there's so much that can contribute to this yeah um the just the transition into becoming a parent is huge so even if you've not been through a traumatic birth even if you've not had a you know terrible pregnancy just becoming a parent is massive yeah and you know and I'm sure like you would have met people that have kind of had really quite stable lives up until having a baby and then it all just their world gets turned upside down yeah um and that is okay yeah (laughs) and it's just you know it doesn't have to have been really traumatic and my story is you know everyone's story is completely different and I could have gone through all of that and been fine yeah some people do go through all of that and they are absolutely fine yeah and it's just how it impacts us all differently and it it doesn't start at pregnancy it starts way way back yeah yeah you know our belief system and our moral compass and where we're at with things it's i think it's important and i think it's important for professionals to remember that each person that comes to you they have a story yeah yeah you don't know this story yeah and i know that we don't have capacity within the nhs to be able to spend loads and loads of time with each individual person but just those simple questions of checking in and how are you and you know making that kind of um emotional side of things just as important as the physical yeah and if baby's weighing a little bit uh, measuring a bit small and oh okay baby's measuring a bit small you know how does that that sentence impact that woman yeah yeah you think about the delivery of what you say Mm -hmm. to people and the impact it has and i think it's also like like you say you don't know people's journey Mm. and it's quite a skill to give people the benefit of the doubt Mm. all the the time you know Mm. so you know people do and do terrible things have been through terrible Mm. things in their life that doesn't mean it's over for them Mm. it doesn't mean they can't change it doesn't mean they can't find their way Mm. through it you know and it just takes you know it takes a lot of energy, I think, emotional yeah. energy to kind of not pass judgment yeah. and not find that. But actually, yeah. um, often, you know, the, the power that can have in like small sentences, your language yeah. and all that, it's subtle, isn't it? Yeah. But it makes a huge difference. And I don't, I wouldn't say I was like a massively judgy person before I had children. Yeah. I wasn't like, I wouldn't say I would be really sort of judgmental or, you know, judge a book by its cover, but... I didn't have that life experience. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, auto- if I saw a homeless person, I wouldn't automatically think, well, how did they get to that point? I'd be maybe thinking, oh my God, please don't come and ask me for money. Yeah, because yeah. I'd, be, I'd feel really uncomfortable. But now it's like, it's quite, it's, it fills my mind quite a lot. Yeah. But, you know, you do meet people that are on different journeys in their life, but you do see people you think, oh, you know, I wonder 
what happened for them to be in yeah, this place yeah. and you do give people the benefit of the doubt and yeah. it can be a bit of a double-edged sword sometimes yeah because you never thought you'd get into those sorts of places yeah. and then suddenly you are and you can go okay, okay well if i can feel it yeah they can feel totally, it you know? yeah. totally and it, it's once you've been through an experience that like it's very hard to judge people yeah yeah and that's a you know mm. i think it's a beautiful thing that you take that mm. and you give that to mm. others in a way where you say mm. You know, you're setting an example mm. and not, not just for people that you're supporting, but mm. for your kids and mm. for people around you. You're mm. you're living that um, you're living that way of life mm. that encourages it in others. You know, yeah. it, it, it's infectious, mm. I think, at least mm. anyway, mm. but it certainly is when I work with you. So, mm. yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, it's been really great. And I'm so chuffed that like, you know, to know your journey, obviously I did know it before, but to sort of hear it all laid out like that yeah. and then to think about you know the difference 10 years can make and kind yeah. of where you are today mm. you are a pillar of strength holly thank and you. i think it's amazing so thank you very much for coming on thank you so it's much been a pleasure to have you and i will because you did a video didn't you like an animation for yeah so mike did it was yeah. our story from the perspective of the partner yeah um, it's called mike's story um and you can if you google mike's story mr bins yeah um you'll find it um, and I guess as well, just to say, like anyone listening to this, it feels really scary in the moment and it feel, and if it's something you've never felt before, you'll feel like, oh, if I tell anybody, you know, will they take my children away if I've been having these thoughts or will they not think I'm going to be able to be a good parent? But when you speak to people, that is like the furthest thing away from what they're thinking. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, supporting you to be the parent that you want to be. Yeah. Um, and I would just sort of really encourage people to just be open and honest with how they feel. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, to a professional in the beginning, but just someone yeah. just to get that off your chest and say it is really powerful. Find that place. Mm. Yeah. There's some really great snippets of advice. I was kind of mentally noting them all. Mm. So one of the things that I always ask on this is mm. kind of what advice would you give to others? And I was going through and I was like, when you said about... Um, keeping a diary of kind of how far you come is like that's definitely a piece of advice yeah. and there, there's so many little snippets going through it but it's great to sort of yeah be able to feed that back to others and learn from it it's wonderful so thank you very much for thank coming you so on. Much it's for been a real me. privilege thank you. and we'll share all those links and everything in the show yeah. notes that's it for this week's born human podcast a massive thank you to holly for coming on and being so honest and so open with us about her story we did of course know each other's stories but i've never heard it in that detail before and i guess that kind of links in really nicely with what we're trying to create here at born human which is a space where it is safe to understand your colleagues and share with your colleagues and that brings a level of human connection that actually adds a lot of value to your relationships at work and allows you to be real and authentic with those that you work with you know our days aren't always straightforward they aren't always easy and by sharing your stories with others in the right environment in the right way then you're able to create those connections i guess i think what really inspired me about this particular story was that it was really chronological almost in terms of its delivery and how Holly described it. But there were so many holes and gaps in there 
of where support was missed or she could have been dealt with differently or somebody could have supported her in a different way and that would have quite clearly changed her outcome. And so I think it's really useful in that context to explain how these kind of situations develop and know that as we say at Paul Newman here, it's not about solving the problem once it's happened, it's about getting to root cause and getting it right from the start. So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. A massive thank you to Holly as ever for joining us. And thank you to you guys for joining us as ever too. We hope to see you next time on the next one of Castle.